Hi everyone and welcome to the Poma Podcast. Um, I'm James Prescott, your host, and I'm delighted to welcome back my dear friend Charles Porter to the podcast today. Welcome back. Hey James, hey everybody. Um, Charles has been on a lot of times. He was on last year to help me do my my little series, um, Questions We Don't Ask. Um, and this is kind of another in that series, I suppose, um, that we're doing today. Because um, Charles and I got into a little conversation about um, Hal and stuff on Twitter. Um, and we thought this would, be a good, this would be a really good thing to do as a podcast. So, here we are. And today's episode is called What the Hell? Because we think that's just a funny thing to call it. Um, it takes the edge off a little bit. Um, yeah, because um, there's a lot of different stories around hell. Um, people have talked about it a lot, especially a few years ago when um, Love Wins came out. There was huge discussion about hell then. And um, yeah... So it's amazing how divisive a subject it can be. So, and Charles and I have different perspectives on this. So this is going to be a really fun conversation. So I don't really know where to begin with this. Um, yeah. What if we talk? Let's. What if we start about the whole thing with Love Wins? Because I think that's when it got pushed to the world stage that there might be alternative views. Yeah, that's. The, I because yeah, I remember when that came out, and I, I said it before how we used to pass around that. PDF copy of Love Wins and nobody found it. But um, at the same time that Rob Bell comes out with Love Wins, then you have Francis Chan came out with um, Erasing Hell. Then there are people writing books on like 10 Reasons Why Love Doesn't Win. Uh, like, you know, it exploded this this uh, market for books on hell itself. Yeah, I remember. And, yeah. I mean, I and it became like almost like an obsession and it's it's interesting because rob is just on the other side of this was just on the other side of the state from me and so it was like a big deal that there was no hell here in in michigan because Mm -hmm. everybody was like you know well rob bell he can't say that he can't do that um and but it sparked a conversation where people disagreed with him who loved his work and Mm -hmm. wrote him off or stayed with him or different things like that. So the influence of that book to spark the conversation is wonderful. And I think both of us, we both read it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I remember, I remember the whole firestorm when it came out that even stretched over here. Um, yeah, there was some, um, harsh, um, reaction to that book. And actually in the recent film, um, the heretic, um, and I interviewed the, the guy, the director of that for this podcast a few weeks ago. Um, it kind of tells his story a little bit, and um, he he tells something about how he was he was make he was packing out big big stadiums like he was like twelve hundred people like regularly were coming to see him, and then he goes to these venues again on the first tour after Love Wins came out, these same venues, and he was getting like fifty people. You know, from twelve hundred to like fifty people. You know, um, and it was because of Love Wins. You know, and um, yeah, it's amazing it's a, how progressive you can be and it's such a following that you can gain. But with Christians, especially evangelical Christians or 
and maybe it's just an American thing and you can back it up. Maybe it's, it's, it's in the UK as well, but Christians get really angry, especially Protestants. When you take away hell. Yeah. When, yeah, like, when you mess with the idea of hell, it makes them very angry. Yeah. Um, and if I'm honest, I was one of them at first until I read that book and until I started to educate myself on, on tradition and the different that there's different views of, of this place or this idea of hell. Um, I grew up evangelical, and if, if it was like, yeah, if you, you know, Jesus gets punished on the cross, and if you don't believe in that, then, um, well, you go to hell. And hell is where you're going to be tormented by God for all of eternity, and that's just your lot in the afterlife. And that's what you have to say. So, so bow your knee now so you don't have to later and, and just get it over with. And then when people challenge, mm-hmm. you know, there's all these various things that can send you to hell, even after you become a Christian and all this stuff. It's just, it's just wacky. It's, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it is. Exactly. Um, and this is one of those subjects for me that I would, it's like um, same-sex marriage, same-sex relationships. Um, I always had a little impulse that I wasn't comfortable with... Um, I was never comfortable with non-affirming theology on the LGBT stuff. But I never questioned it for a while. Um, because I thought, well, that's just how it is, you know. And I just have to lump it, you know. Um, it wasn't until I did a bit of research that I found out that I didn't actually have to lump it at all, you know. That, um, and it, I think it was the same with hell, you know. It was like, well, I don't really like this. This this doesn't really make much sense to me. It doesn't, I don't really like talking about it. I, you know, it's uncomfortable for me to try and tell, explain that to somebody, but I don't have a choice, you know. And then Love Wins comes out, and I read all this, and I read what's in the book, and do a bit of research and stuff on other, in other places and suddenly it's like oh well, actually um, maybe there is a different perspective um, and it was like a it was a release you know it was um, and then I started to think about it you know and yeah I, it's a complicated subject you know and we're you know neither of us are kind of theologians as it were but you know, we're, yeah, we're armchair theologians. Yeah. That's what my brother says. We're just armchair theologians. That's right. Yeah. And pub theologians. Um. I uh, yeah. I mean, I. I think if we're talking about what I believe about this, I suppose it it would be that we get a choice. Um. We choose to be with God, or we choose not to be with God. Um. I don't believe God sends us anywhere to burn forever because I don't think that's a... And here's, here's, here's the story that I, that, always comes, that I always come back to. It's of a father and his children. And like his father says, like, I, I love you, I will, give you I, will, I will bless you, I will give you everything you ever need, I will, I will support you, I will be with you always, I will take care of you if you believe in me and do what I say. And if you don't, I'm going to talk to you and abuse you and and burn you forever. You know, you know. Now that's like if that was a real life father saying that to his children, we would think that was crazy. You know, um, that that is kid is crazy. He'd be an, that's an abusive father. So, like, why would God be like that? You know, why would God say, 
I'll be nice to you and love you and bless you and give you everything you want and send you to a nice place if you are obedient to me and believe in me. But if you don't, I'm going to burn you, burn you somewhere forever. Like, you know. Uh, right we call child protective services on dads like that here in the u.s like yeah and here in the uk too you know um um i see dads like that at my job because i work in child protection um oh yeah um, you and, know and uh, yeah they're not nice um so i'm kind of like well we i think and, and what what rob wrote it, what what ah, i can say it what rob wrote about this um, had a big influence on me, um, a big impact on my thinking about this. Like, because he said things. He was like, "We we choose hell for ourselves now. Lots of people choose hell for themselves right now. You know, um, and we, you know, we don't need God to send us anywhere because we choose it for ourselves uh, instead of choosing the life that." The life that he has for us, we choose something that's 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 not that's not as good, and then there's consequences to when we make those choices, you know, um, and that's not God doing anything to us or like you know retribution or karma or whatever you want to call it. It's just that's the con that's a natural consequence of when you choose something which isn't healthy for you, you know. Um, it's like when you. You know, if you feed yourself enough junk food, then you'll have a heart attack. That's just a consequence. It's not a, anyone punishing you. It's just that's what happens to your body if you put enough junk in it, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of... I guess that's kind of a little bit of my perspective, you know. that um, I just can't... I can't, I can't believe in a God that would just send people to hell because they don't believe the right things, I guess. Um or in that, or yeah. there, there is a hell like that anyway. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think, so um, I have a family member who's a Calvinist. And Calvinists are very into like penal substitutionary atonement. The penalty, it has to be paid. And, and whenever I get into a debate with, with him about that and about the idea of, of the afterlife, the the line that he always throws out there is, I, and I can't remember the scripture offhand, but he always says that there's a scripture, and I think it's in like Romans, where he says it, that it pleased the Father to crush the Son. And we base like this huge, this all this theology around that. But when you look at like penal substitutionary, you have this abusive relationship where God kills God, which creates a problem within the Trinity. So then you have to, backtrack on your trinitarian theology and try to figure that out from that end but when you have an abusive god who is going to kill his son and it ple and it supposedly pleases him yes. to kill his son yes. then what's going to prevent that god from being pleased to torture you for mm. all of eternity what kind of god does that i mean that's not a good loving Gracious, figuring God, is it? I mean, it's like, right. So it's, it's, like it's a schizophrenic God. It's like one minute he's all nice and gentle and loving and kind and generous and you know forgiving and stuff, and the next minute he's like, "No, I'm going to torture you and burn you forever, and I'm going to enjoy it." Um, and that's just how it is, you know. Um, even if you're only alive 
15, 16, 17, 18 years um, and didn't get the rest of your life to, to have a change of mind, um, have a change of heart. Doesn't matter. You're going to burn for eternity for things you did in that finite amount of time. You know, it, it doesn't make right. any sense. And with this idea that there was a place specifically created yeah. for you to go. Yeah. Like, it's just absurd. And, and you know, I – so um, – and I this isn't part of the book, but it just kind of got my ideas thinking. But I really love the – I'm not Catholic, but I love the Catholic apologist Scott Hahn. Right. I don't agree with some of the social things just because he's very Catholic. Is there's – you know, the Catholic Church has uh, certain ideas of, of – you know, like LGBTQ issues and mm. things like that, that I don't, I'm not in agreement with, which is probably why I'm not Catholic, but um, his theology and the way that he explains certain things about this. And he was talking about revelation and in his book, uh, the lamb's supper, the mass on, or how the mass is heaven on earth. And he's talking about the lake of fire actually. Mm. And he's talking about, how like no that was for like the beast that's for that's not for people people don't go there he specifically calls out like in in our divine liturgy which mirrors what's in the revelation of christ we don't like god does not put anyone in this lake of fire they go there themselves because they followed the beast there so it's something like that and so he, he talks about that and he's like no hell isn't this place where people are burned and hell isn't this place that people go to it it wasn't created for this place isn't created for them and it's not created for humanity it's not a place of that anybody goes to judgment and him being a good catholic he believes in purgatory so you have to go into this middle space before that anyway so it's just interesting how there's these different things but a lot of my protestant friends try to back up with that idea of like, well, hell is the lake of fire. Well, the lake of fire is only a thousand year thing. If you look at, if you want to take revelation literally. Mm-hmm. So even, even within the context of those things, hell is very temporary if it is a place. Yeah. And it's not a place that you go to uh, begrudgingly. You go there willingly and God does never the one who puts you there. And that's if you even believe the idea that hell is a real place. So you have this scumbag God who's supposedly sending people to hell in a temporary place. So like the, the, once you put it in these, in those contexts, it's just really absurd to think that that's what hell is, that somehow hell is eternal conscious torment. The scriptures don't line up with that. There's no way to get around it. Once, once you make an, a claim of, of hell as a place that you burn forever, well, then you have to go find it in scripture. Then the only place you can find it in scripture is in Revelation, but that's a temporary thing. So either yeah, and I mean, like, <laughs> like when you come to Revelation as well. I mean, I'm I read uh, Rob's What Is the Bible last year, um, and I'm, and I'm to be honest, the last couple of years anyway, I've been having some thoughts about Revelation and what that really means, you know, and whether that is really literal or or not, you know, um, because. Um, you know, there's, we we don't know if it's a prophecy, or if we don't know if it's if it's literally what's going to happen. We, you know, we don't know. Um, um, it, you know, it's you know, and Genesis is well. I believe Genesis is a metaphor as well. The beginning of it, the mm-hmm. creation story. 
um, and the fall and all of that. That's a kind of metaphor. Um, and it could well be that the end of the Bible is a metaphor too. I mean, we we don't we don't know. You know, um, this is why I'm kind of very skeptical of certainty um, because having all like this is like it's a human a human condition. We need to have things certain to um, to feel safe. You know. Um, but that's but then we kind of get stuck, you know. We get stuck in certainty. We don't, we don't grow. We don't make progress. We don't take risks. We don't, you know, stretch ourselves. We kind of just get complacent and stuck. And some people like to stay there. Um, I don't, you know. Um, I've said it before as well. It's not a surprise to me that, you know, that when you get like addicts who become Christians, they tend to become more fundamentalist Christians because. They're exchanging one kind of certainty for another kind of certainty. You know. Now certainty, Christian certainty, is better than being a drug addict. Um but um but you know, but still it's not I still don't think it's I don't know, maybe this is my maybe this is a bit binary of me, I don't know. Um I just don't think I think there's more than that. I think um you, you know you can easily settle for that and some people like that and they get a lot out of that and they and you know they feel content in that and that's where relation, their relationship with god goes and as somebody who is believing in non-dual thinking and that everything belongs then maybe i need to kind of accept that that's okay for some people and that some people need to just that's where they're going to go and that's where they're going to stay um and that's as far as their faith will go um I, I just know for me that I that I could never settle somewhere like that. Um I don't ever want to settle anywhere in a sense. I want to keep moving forward and keep growing and keep going deeper and because I just think that God and Jesus are way bigger than or the way that than all the systems that have come, we've come up with to explain them or understand them or you know. Um it's not to say that God isn't found in those places, it's just that I think he's found in more places. Um, well, again, it's like the progression of, of the revelation of God. So like, even from the hell perspective, um, I have an Oxford English Bible that I read. Um, oh, right. so yeah, I got it in college. I had an Orthodox, uh, person, uh, laity who was my teacher and she required that we get that because she said it's the best English translation. So yay Anglicans for having best English translation. But um, I read, I was reading it and it, it says Sheol a lot and it talks and it, and there's a progression of the language from the old Testament to the new Testament specifically about the, where the dead go. And like the Jews, they started off with, well, yeah, everybody goes to Sheol. There's no discrimination of, it's not tormenting. It's not, mm. It's not anything. It's a place where you just go and you forget. It's just another place where you go. It's not because you were good or because you were bad. It wasn't anything. And then later on, the as the tradition follows, then they started saying, well, maybe maybe you go there and the people who go to Sheol who have agency now were the people who kept the commandments and maybe the people who when you go to Sheol and you – you know, maybe you didn't keep the commandments. You don't have any agency and you're there against your will. You don't have flexibility. And then by Jesus's time, you know, that would have, I, th I think I read that that is what would have been a dominant idea is that 
Sheol was just a place where you keep the commandments and like I said, you have the agency or if you didn't keep the commandments, you just lose your agency, but they're still indiscriminate of what you're, what's happening there. Like nobody's being harmed there. So in Jesus's time, by the time you get to that, and he talks about Gehenna a lot, like in Love Wins and, you know, which is, I'm glad that he put that, that Rob put that in lay terms for us to understand Mm. that it's not, that this fiery torment, this Hades style, like Roman or Greco-Roman style hell isn't, you know, it's not the same. It's not equivalent to, to, there's no punishment involved in this. There's the punishment is, is death itself that there's nothing, there's nobody actively tormenting you. So like Jesus, and I think this is where, when we were on Twitter, we were talking is that, um, is that if hell is a real place or not, and Jesus referencing hell as the garbage dump Gehenna, yeah, that it's a physical location on earth mm. that everybody regionally would have known yeah. what we were talking about, yeah. So, so it's like you'll end up in the garbage, you'll end up in the garbage dump, basically. Uh, he's pretty much saying that, isn't he? You know, um, you know, without God, you, you, you'll. Your life might end up in the garbage dump, you know. You might, and your life will end up being just awful, you know. Um, I suppose, and that's a very different message because it's kind of like saying that, like, if you're gonna have, if you're gonna have the full joy and and happiness and um, and fulfillment of life and and live life to the full, then then follow me, you know. Uh, and if you don't, then your life won't be as good, basically. <laughs> you know, your life won't be, you know, you won't be, you won't be um, as fulfilled and it'll, it could all go wrong, you know, and it could be darker and, you know, uh, it could be diff- more difficult, you know, ultimately, you know, for you. And, you, yeah, because you won't have any of that support, you won't have any of that, you know, community and all of that that comes with, with that and, you know, and that and it could end up this way, right? So it's rather kind of like I, I'm trying to save you from from yourself in a way, but but not from God punishing you, but from from your own choices and the consequences of your own choices. You know, um, and that's a good yeah. Karen. That's a good Karen, isn't it? It's like saying, like this is what happens if you do this, but if you do this, then things might be different. You know. Um, you know, and it's nothing to do with them doing anything to you. Um, it's more just consequences, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's the circumstances of life. So it's like if you look at the way the Orthodox think about how there's no, like, set doctrine. Like the Orthodox Church in any capacity doesn't have a set doctrine on hell. See, there's, like, flexibility because it's an unknown. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I guess it. I don't see it this way. It's not, and you don't see it this way. I guess it could be an eternal conscious torment. I don't think it's in line with the character of God, but they're smart to say they don't know. And they, so then there's also alternative views where you can hold a view of Gehenna where there is no, you, you go there yourself and, and it's just a des- un- undesirable place aside from being in the presence and the love of God in, in that, that partaking in that grace and that joy but, and then the Catholics are also not 100% settled. There's no, I was reading somewhere that 
I think it's in the Vatican II, they still hadn't decided on a theology and doctrine of hell. They were just like, nope, here's, they give you a broad spectrum that's acceptable views, but they still didn't definitively say this is what it is. It's not until you get to like Calvin who says this is the only way. And it seems like, it seems like John Calvin did more harm to the Protestant movement than good. A lot of people think he did good, but he brought in a lot of these abusive and dangerous ideas to where it's the certainty of hell. It's this that needing to know who goes where and who gets punished for what. And it's just, I, I think one that's, that's incredibly selfish and that's a life of hell itself. If you're preoccupied with the idea, cause I'm with you. I don't think that, I think that hell is, is a, a state of being. I don't think it's a place. It's, it's a choice. It's, it's a, it's where you, where you put yourself in your lot in life. It has nothing to do with how much wealth you amass. It has nothing to do with how much wealth you don't amass. It has nothing to do with anything. It's the quality, except for the quality of how, how much have you loved God and not in like a quantifiable, but have you, Done, have you pursued the divine and have you loved your neighbor as yourself like can a can a good muslim go to heaven who is not christian because they've loved their neighbor better than their christian neighbor have they have they done those things so it, you have this idea of like is it is it less of a merit system or is it more as in a likeness to christ and is it it's it, it, it's coveting people like i think that when you when you have to know where somebody's going to go in the afterlife and you have to make sure that they know that you know that you're going there um then like you know that whole gandhi's in hell like rob says like you know that for sure like no no you don't it's it's actually really covetous of that because you're 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 pining for what they might have in life well what if they go to i've done all this but what if they go to heaven what if they're in the presence of god and i'm not what if, you know, it's, it's just this really childish faith. It's this childish rudimentary view of scripture. And I know that John Calvin was a smart, I mean, he's probably way smarter than I ever will be, but I just think that there, we have so much church tradition that has so much flexibility to not be certain about these things that once you pigeonhole somebody into that certainty, you, you've literally robbed them the ability to maybe be right. Mm. If yeah. you have to believe that structure, that system of theology in order to somehow be in step with God, because somehow the correct doctrine is better, is somehow what gets you into the presence of God rather than just being in the presence of God, then you're working for things that are just, it just doesn't make sense. I don't know. It, it, I think like that's where it converges. That's, or that's where it, it, it breaks. That's where the line gets drawn in the sand. And then now who's in, who's out. But then you have up to that point, like 1600 years of church tradition that says you don't have to be decided on this, that people say there is no hell. You get annihilated afterwards, maybe that hell is just a state of being. Hell is eternal conscious torment. That hell is, you know, X, Y and Z. There's no definitive thing in that tradition. And it's a flexibility of opinion. But then you get to the Protestant Reformation and all of a sudden well, if you don't have a stance on this, which to me says that hell to hell to not just the Calvinist, but a lot of Protestant theology. And I don't, I don't know enough about Martin Luther to lump him into that because I'm not, I, you know, shame on me for not reading about his views on hell. But 
I think that once you get into that, what you're really trying to get is to develop systems to push Catholics out of the faith. Well, we're saved and you're not. Okay, well, why? So that you can be right? Like that we create theology and doctrines for the sake of being right rather than leading people to life? Yeah. Like that's pretty crappy. I know, it's it's awful. And it is, I was thinking about this today actually. It's just this, this way of believing is so childish. This binary way of believing is just so childish and immature, you know, like, maybe that's what Paul's talking about when he talks about to become mature, you know, is to actually let go of, like, tribal way of believing. Like, Rob did a podcast on on this recently about about different levels of consciousness and moving away, moving away from tribal consciousness into... A bigger consciousness, and um, yeah, and how we need to do that to to really mature, you know, and to, um, and that takes a lot of a lot of faith and a lot of courage, you know. Um, I'm more, I would be more interested in helping people change how they believe than what they believe, because if you can believe, because if you believe. If you have a non, if you have a non-binary way, non-dual way of believing, and you have open hands and you're willing to hear other people's stories, and not mock and condemn or criticize, or make fun of those who disagree with you, uh, no matter how bad they are as a, as a person, uh, or how how damaging their beliefs are, then you can start to have a conversation with them, even if you disagree. You know, and so then you can say, okay. My beliefs are not about my ego and me being right um, and me inflicting my beliefs on everybody else. I actually have legitimate reasons for believing what I believe, and but I want to hear other people have to say and I'm willing to listen to it, you know. Um, and that's a healthier place to be. And I actually think if you change how you believe, it does change what you believe, personally. Um, but that's just a natural part of the process, rather than like saying you know, I'm, I'm going to force my beliefs on you, you know. Um, I just think that's, I, I think that's, I think that's a healthy way to believe. But also I don't want to, I don't want to create a binary in terms of how we believe either, in terms of like, this is the wrong way to believe, and this is the right way to believe, because that's just as damaging. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, but I, I, yeah, I think, I think we all need, we need to always be growing in how we believe just like evolving and um, opening ourselves up to things um, and yeah with with hell and with the afterlife or whatever you want to call it um, there's endless possibilities you know I think it's way bigger than we've ever heard it talked about and I can't say I, I can explain that or tell you what it is um, but I think I I know there's 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 more out there you know, I mean, like science keeps telling us about these different dimensions to reality and about the singularity and, you know, who's to say there's something and not something in that. You know, often it's just the language that we use rather than what we're talking about. Because I've heard people who are, complete, who are atheists and people who are devout Christians talking about, well, what I think is the same thing, just with different language. And, uh yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, actually, um, my brother and I, 
realize he's the Calvinist in the family. I love him pieces. He honestly, he challenges me. He he challenges me to make sure I have my ducks in a row and I really understand what I'm talking about because he's got five arguments for why he's right, and I need to have five arguments for why we're both right. <laughs> um, so, it, it, but he he challenges me in those ways where he's somebody who does think it's binary, but he is accepting of how you might come to a different conclusion on those similar things. I guess for for him in, in that binary way, he just hopes that at the end of the day, there's still a heaven and a hell. It doesn't matter what they, he doesn't care what they look like. So there's still, you know, there's still people out there who can have a binary way of thinking who can still be open-minded enough of the results. They just want the buckets. Whereas it sounds like we don't quite need or want the buckets, but other people need and want the buckets. They just hope that you have a bucket. So like hell has to go into one. And he's actually forced me to come to an idea of what I believe about hell. Mm -hmm. And it helped me. It has helped me because I used to probably, I do believe there is one. And I do believe that there's a certain theological function of it. And I had to formulate that and research. I just knew I didn't believe in the eternal conscious torment. And I, so when I think of hell, it's similar to you. It's similar to, it's to the idea that you, hell is your choice. Hell is a state of being that you can live now and after physical death. I don't believe that. I believe that we are eternal beings. I don't believe that the human spirit is, is finite. The, I don't think that the flesh is finite. And I think that the church tradition allows for that. But the resurrection of the dead, I, I do believe in that. And I know um, even that can be tough for some people. And I'm okay with, with that. And if somebody doesn't believe in the resurrection, then I'm okay with that too. But for me, the resurrection of the dead... It is is a, a thing. So it's your physical body. Uh, the way that I believe is that it's your physical body after after physical death that also gets resurrected with your spirit, and that then you are living here on the new created thing in the presence of God. Like of the new creation is in the presence of God. But also, those people who accepted Christ are there, and those people who didn't accept Christ are here. But people who have accepted Christ are, are, I believe in the process of theosis, which is the becoming like God, maybe not God ourself, but, um, St. Athanasius says that theosis is, is the becoming like God by grace, what he is by nature. And that's divine. So you can become glorified in, in transfigured the same way that Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And that the, the, People who have accepted Christ are like that, and that doesn't make them better, and it doesn't make them worthy of the the love of God any more so than the other person who is not glorified in their physical body, but that they, those people are living hell um, for so long as they choose to in a non-glorified state with the love of God pursuing both equally and the love of God being in, in, in the presence of God being with them both equally 
that the, the love of God is not discriminate, even upon the life after life. Um, it's the eternal life. I don't believe in that. Now, I, I know that scripture describes it as like the worm that go all King James on you with the, the worm that dieth not, because I just think it's a funny way to say it. But the 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 worm that dieth not is, is not because it's eating away at the rotting corpse. It's or it's not eating away at you that for an eternal hell. I I believe that it's it's the thing it's it's the thing that weighs on you. For how long are you willing to forgive yourself and ask for forgiveness even in the afterlife, and throw yourself upon the mercy of God that maybe you were a really crappy human being. Maybe you did cause a ton of suffering and maybe you do need to, maybe you do deserve a time to reflect on that. Maybe, maybe I don't believe in a a separate place of purgatory, but a place that is in the presence of God where maybe you need to work your stuff out. So that's where I'm at right now is that is the hope that everyone comes into the glorified state and be transfigured with Christ. Absolutely. I'm a universalist in that way. I think that everybody has an equal chance at the presence of God after death and and with the resurrection. And I believe that it's just a matter of how long until you decide. And some people made for all eternity never decide to move past it and to seek that reconciliation. Mm. Maybe, maybe, Maybe the idea of of hell is that you have to then go in front of the people that you've caused suffering and to ask them for forgiveness to be restored. The thing that you didn't, maybe hell is the place that is the thing that you have to do in the afterlife. And this is where I'm at and, and where I'm thinking is that I think that hell is the place that you go to not necessarily atone for anything, but to the people that you've taken the voice away to listen the, the people that you physically harmed, to see them restored and to apologize, to do those things. And yeah. some people might never do that. Yeah, like I suppose for under that under that model, you'd say someone, at least based for someone like, you know, the, the person who always gets mentioned when they're talking about hell, Hitler, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, who, you know, killed 12 million Jews and... Um, millions more people um, having to go in front of all of them and repent and say sorry and ask their forgiveness and um, yeah I'm, I, you know in that like when it comes to Hitler I think like there's got to be some kind of consequences for, for that you know um, I don't believe in that the whole this whole idea that oh it's all right you killed twelve million Jews but I forgive you like and mm-hmm. like it's all okay you can come in Just yeah I'm not around. a universalist in that way I I do uh, think that uh, there is a, a reckoning yeah I think I think yeah there has to be some kind of yeah there has to be some kind of consequences of that it's like you know um, but I don't think it's eternal conscious torment I don't think there's a place where people go and burn. Um, I don't believe that happens at all. Um, I don't believe God sends anyone anywhere. Um, I think it's our, like I was saying, our choice. Um, and I think, but I do think there is, when you've done something like that, there are consequences as well. 
you know, like, you know, that God holds, holds, you, holds us to account, you know, not in a kind of terror, I'm going to burn you forever kind of way, not in a sadistic, abusive kind of way, um, but in a kind of, lo- you know, I mean, a way of love, um, which isn't as soppy and pansy-like as it sounds. Because um, <coughs> when you love somebody and they've done something wrong, you go and talk to them about it and you explain why they've done something wrong and what it is they did and talk to them about it and have a conversation and say, you need to... You need to... Um, you need to apologise. You need to... You need to deal with this. You need to work this out. And... I remember getting into a fight with a neighbor kid growing up. And you know what? My mom made me go down there. I yeah, I got my butt whooped, but she made me go down there and apologize. And she made sure that it was set right. And then we played later on that week. Yeah. And and that's that's what a loving parent does. It, it's it's not a a, a, fi- a, a an infinite punishment. It's a set the course straight make it right, and then move on together. Like, right the wrongs that you've done. And, and I think that if God is a truly loving father or a loving mother or a loving, ambiguous spirit, I don't, I'm not sure quite where I'm at on that one. Um, we use the language of father, so I'm comfortable with that. Um, if God is a loving father, then he's just to, to see the, the children his creation in order. Yeah. And I, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what kind of God can't put his creation back in order? Yeah. It's just, it's just a loving thing to do, you know? Um, yeah. It's just, it's not, it's not all, all just like hippie kind of free love. Like everyone just come in. Um, I think it's more like, let's just work this stuff out. And then we can move forward together as family, you know. And, Family's a good word for it, and because that's what we are, isn't it? It's what we're meant to be, you know. We're, you know, we're that's what he, even Jesus said that you know we're his family, the you know the church. Or was it Paul? I, sorry, I'm not a. I don't remember my scripture exactly, but somebody said that that the church is is basically you know, we're the bride of Christ, you know. Um, so we're family in a sense, you know. Well, and I love that. And I think that that's so, and this is something we brought up on Twitter too. I remember is, um, I brought it up was the creeds. I love, I love standing up and saying the creeds, not because I, yeah, they can be loaded and you can have a lot of opinions about the content of the creeds, but I love that when we get together and we stand up and we proclaim, um, at least the bare minimum of these things we agree because the creeds never force you into a certain doctrinal position, but in in the in our creeds we say that that Jesus descended into hell. Yeah, and I love that we say that because it reminds us that we cannot remove the presence of God from the places that we want to remove the presence of God. That that even Jesus sanctified those places. That as Jesus dies whichever way you feel or believe about that, whichever atonement theory you subscribe to, either way, we, Jesus dies. We, we understand that. If he goes into what is considered hell, 
where those people are living, where everywhere Jesus goes, he sets people free. Jesus doesn't just, he doesn't pour, you know, the rocks on top of you when you're already feeling like you're, or pour more water on you when you feel like you're drowning. Mm. He comes in and he rescues. So if, if in our creeds, we profess that, that Jesus went to hell, if Jesus goes to this place of hell, that means that the presence and love of God has come to rescue you even in those places. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I take out of those, those creeds, because I don't necessarily believe the that literally Jesus did that, but I. Right. But what I do believe is that Jesus, that there's nowhere that he cannot, that he cannot go and yeah. bring light and love and peace, and that that's when I when I hear that, that's what I, that's what I feel that, that, that there is nothing that is beyond, beyond the love of God. There is, yeah, you know, there is no, there is no, there is no level of darkness where he cannot, come into. Um, right. Nothing Whether if you know if hell's a physical or mental state, Jesus even went to that hell. So yeah. the person who's in in the most horrendous mental state, if there if hell isn't a place, then and, and that's hell. Then hell, then Jesus went there too. Yeah. Well, like it's just, uh, and you know we're recording on good on um, Monday Thursday, which is the the day Jesus was arrested, which is the day that he kind of went to that place, like where he had that kind of. Like, you know, is there any other way to do this? You know, can I get out of this? You know, um, sweating blood, you know, um, which is, we know is scientifically possible in moments of extreme stress, you know. So, um, so yeah, he's kind of been to that kind of, about that, that place, you know. And, uh, that's a very human experience. Well, that's, that's, I, so I actually was writing about this and I was thinking about it and, and so the, the last supper to me is where Jesus, is where Jesus made the sacrifice, not, not necessarily the cross. And I know that's going to upset some people and I, and I apologize if you're upset, um, don't at me, but, or maybe, maybe you can find me on Twitter, but search on your own time. Is that the sacrifice was made at the table of the Last Supper. And at the table of the Last Supper, you know, that's when he lifts up, which I always thought, thought this was weird. Growing up, I always thought the, the the Eucharist and communion was a symbol. And now I believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, which is funny because I used to be a very a, a near literalist or, um, yeah, I guess I'd say near literalist on Bible. And then now I'm not, but for some reason I take John chapter six literal. <laughs> so it's, and the, that, I don't know, it's pick and choose. Maybe I'm a hypocrite, but the sacrifice being made at the table when he's like, this is my body that's broken. This is my blood that's poured out. And then, um, referencing John chapter six, where he says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then he goes later on in, in the gospels and says like, Hey, this is the body and blood I'm talking about. He makes that sacrifice. Well, Judas is at that table. Thank you. I'm so glad you said that. Ah, oh, you know, we could do a whole podcast on this subject, but I, I talked with Alexander Shire about, about Judas um, and how he's not like the, the one that was doomed to destruction um, and that, um, that he's not in, you know, what it, well, I don't believe in hell like that anyway, because we just talked about it, but, but how he's not like just immediately like, oh, he's like gone to hell and that's the end of it, you know, because, there's one of the, in one of the gospels I forget which one, 
when Judas comes to betray him, Jesus says, um, friend, do what you came here to do. As in, I know what you're going to do, but you're still my friend. And I still love you. I know what you're going to do, but, you know, I still love you. And even though you're going to do it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change how I feel about you. It doesn't change that you're my brother and you're my friend. If um, that exchange doesn't preach to the goodness of God. Yeah. That, I always get emotional when I... When I, when I, when well, I, I am that. too. I'm kind of fighting it back. Cause it's like, because like, it's, it's just such a moment of grace, you know. And um, like that was... I mean, when I first heard that, that was, that was life-changing for me because I had moments of... When I, I used to get really, really, really angry. I had a lot of anger towards God, a lot of bitterness and hatred towards God. I used to have rants towards him about my life and stuff. And when I heard that, it was like, it was like, oh, every time I was doing that, he was, it was like God said to me, every time you were doing that, I was there just saying, just do what you came here to do. Like, and that almost like, and the next time I got angry with him, I, I felt that prompting of him saying that. And it kind of, well, one time it, the first time it really calmed me down. Like, but there was another time where I just got really, really angry. And, and, and I heard that voice and I just gave it to him. All that stuff. And it was like, you know, I was crucifying him. That's when it really like felt like, oh, I actually did crucify Jesus. Like, that's when I'm doing that. That's what I'm doing, you know. Um, and then you just feel that grace, you know. It's like, yeah, it's quite emotional. <laughs> well, uh, and the thing is that so many people get, ugh, I think the, the betrayer is the category most of us fall into. Yeah. So whenever we think of somebody who needs to go to hell, we think of the betrayer. But the but the the betrayer is given the most grace in in the garden on on the Monday Thursday on Monday Thursday Jesus washes the betrayer's feet knowing that he already was paid for what he's going to do at the end of the meal makes a sacrifice shares in the cup with him and says you are worthy of my body and blood yeah because he did. go go and do what I know you came to do. And then Judas comes back and kisses him on the cheek and is called friend. And then people say, oh, well, Judas never repented. And then Judas being overwhelmed with the fact that he just sentenced his friend. His, the, his, he's been with him for three years, at least. What we have documented, three years, he's every day. Like I, the moment of, wait, no, no. I love this man and he's going to die. And I'm the one who turned him over. And he goes and he, he does the physical act of repentance and he tries to give the money back. So people say Judas didn't repent. The betrayer repents and the forgiveness was already given. Mm. That's the thing is that that, Judas did not, he's not damned forever. Mm. Even even in systematic theology, he this this man would not go into any form of torment. He's he's he, he's in what whatever you want to call heaven, you know. Um, yeah, he's 
I fully believe that people like Judas, the betrayer, the me's of this world, the betrayer are, are worthy of the presence or to be in the presence of God. And, and some, you know, if he didn't, Judas didn't say a formulaic prayer, but he, he tried to give the money back. He tried to make it right and say, just take the money back because, and, and let him go because I, I can't let his blood be, be on my hands. I just, and I, I just try to imagine what it would be like, what that meeting when Jesus went to heaven, whatever you want to call it. Um, and Judas is like is like there, you know, and they have this kind of reconciliation, you know. I feel like Jesus met him with a kiss. Judas yeah. betrayed him with a kiss, and Jesus restored him with a kiss. But then yeah. people say, "Oh, well, he, Judas killed himself, so he went to hell automatically." No, 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 no. no. Because that, no, no. I, I don't believe that, that, that. I don't know where that theology comes from that you commit suicide and you go to hell. Um, but I don't it, believe it. It was, <laughs> it was the religious system that wouldn't allow him forgiveness that drove him. Yeah. Have we said it? And I, this might be, this will probably take it too far, but have we set up the same religious system that's not offering people forgiveness? That's driving them to commit the suicide of going down, trying to... They don't feel like they can be atoned for. They don't feel like they can be forgiven. So they go into. We're forcing people into that state of hell. Well, I'm like, I mean, I, this is, this is, this is going to some dangerous. It's in places, the weeds. It's in the weeds now. But it's in some, We're still talking about hell, really. We really are. It's just, it's such a big topic. Um, but no, I mean, you look at America. I mean, the suicide rates among the LGBT community. You know. Especially in America, mm. where they're excluded and you know, and where the fact where it divide where evangelical Christian families kind of throw these kids out or tell them they're evil and going to hell or all their churches do the same and they feel they've got no one and they're alone and that God's rejected them and they you know, you got can it can drive people to suicide, you know, and it does. I mean it does. Yeah, I mean like, that's like you can't you can't say that's not a reason and that that doesn't happen. So yeah, it still happens, you know. Um, bad religion kills. Oh, yeah. Amen. <laughs> amen. Yeah, I mean, literally, I'm not even. Yeah, it's not even a euphemism. It 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 literally, it literally kills people. Yeah. Well, what's it in in was it in Ghana? Is Ghana or Uganda where? the church was hunting down homosexuals and killing them. And they were fleeing to the churches in other countries to seek refuge and to try to forgive these people who were literally slaughtering them with machetes. Mm. So who, who, who's the Christian? Who's the Christ follower? Who's the Christ model in that situation? Yeah. Is it the one who's trying to uphold the church or the one who's trying to be near to Christ? Precisely. That's a great, great quote. Who's the Christian? The one who's trying to uphold the church, or the one who's trying to follow Christ? Yeah, exactly. Probably the question of our day. Probably the reckoning we're seeing in the church right now. Yeah, absolutely. So agree. many people are walking away, but they're not walking away from Christ. They're walking away from the church. Yes, yes, I, I uh, yes, <laughs> yes, and just to kind of draw it to some kind of conclusion because I think we could probably talk about this for hours and hours and hours 
Um, but that'll be the longest podcast in history. <laughs> um, a ten-parter. <laughs> Have you ever seen Stephen King's The Stand? It, it came out on like six VHSs. No, not seen that. That <laughs> uh, was brutal. But it's six VHSs at like three hours a piece. Wow. <sighs> That's this. We'll make a podcast like that. <laughs> <laughs> we could do an event sometime. That'd be pretty awesome. Um, um, yeah, I think. I think the thing is, I think. With hell, I think. I think we kind of both agree in a sense that it's something that we, that we choose for ourselves. That God doesn't send people there. That, that, that there's no that we don't believe there's some kind of eternal torment. There's no, you know, like burning people forever and this kind of abusive God, you know, that that's not accurate, you know, that, um, and that, that what we do have is a place, what we do have is us taking responsibility for what we, for our actions and working that thing, stuff, stuff through in a healthy, loving environment with a loving God who wants to help us do that, um, in a positive way. Um, and to uh, with him, with him there, um, you know, and not out of the presence of God, and um, that's kind of what we believe. I know that a lot of what and I, I know a lot of listeners might disagree with us. Some of you might agree with us. Some of you might be even more progressive, um, and that's all okay. That's all okay, whatever you believe about this. If you're coming out with a healthy perspective on, you know, and willing to hear other people's perspectives, and that's a really good place to be, even if you, even if you disagree with us. You know, we're not trying to convert anybody. We're not trying to make everyone believe with us, believe the same as us, agree with us. Um, this is just our kind of contribution to the conversation. And uh, I hope uh, you've all liked it. And thanks, Charles, for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love talking to you. Yeah. I wish you, I wish we lived in the same continent, at yes. least. Yes, that would be that would be awesome. Yes, we could. I suspect we could, I suspect we could do a lot more together if we did. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, then, and of course, um, we'll have you'll you'll be back. We we'll, we'll do some more of these conversations um, because there's so much more to talk about. So. Uh, yeah, thank you. And uh, thanks, everyone. Hope you have a great week. <laughs>